Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, and today we are covering the topic of going to grad school at a PWI and an HSI as a first-gen child of immigrants. Our guest is Alma Lopez, and she's a sociology PhD student at University of Nevada in Las Vegas. She has a master's degree in sociology from Minnesota State University, Mankato, and a bachelor's degree in psychology. She also has certificates in experimental psychology and nonprofit leadership. Her passion is centered on amplifying the experiences and voices of Latinx children of immigrants. Welcome to the podcast, Alma. Thank you, thank you so much. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Oh, I'm happy to have you too. <laughs> um, I would love, love, I just, I love hearing people's backstories. And so I want to hear more about who you are, you know, what you do, what you study, and essentially whatever you're comfortable sharing about um, your backstory and how you became who you are today. Um, yeah, I, well, I'll start with some of the basics. I am 23 years old. Um, I was born and raised in Minnesota from a very, very small town. Um, 2,000 people, 2,000 to 3,000, maybe it's growing, but um, it's a predominantly white town. Um, I think it's about 98% white. Um, wow. And uh, yeah, so it's a big difference from where I'm living now in Las Vegas, which was actually ranked, I believe, number two, one of the townships, number two in most diverse mid-sized cities. Um, so it's a big difference. Um, I went to college um, in Mankato and I lived there for about five-ish years. I did my undergrad there and my master's degree. Um, I lived in Minnesota up until this past summer. And I, yeah, so I grew up my entire life there. My parents are from Mexico. And I think that's a really, really, really huge part of my identity mm -hmm. having um, immigrant parents, being a child of immigrants, and everything that I do and who I am surrounds this. Um, and coming from a very small white town, I did not fully embrace this part of my identity, and mm -hmm. I didn't fully understand it. I always just kind of grappled with it, and it was this struggle um, of just back and forth trying to figure out why I didn't fully fit in and um, why people treated me the way they did, which I mean, being a first gen child of immigrants, Latina in a space like my hometown, it just, yeah, it was just such like of an internal struggle and people make comments to you. And I experienced lots of um, microaggressions, but for them, it's normal and they don't see anything wrong with it. And even for myself, I 
kind of just would laugh it off because I, mm-hmm. it's really all I knew. Um, I kept, I got some questions. I used to work at a grocery store and would get questions of like, where are you really, really from? You know, like, um, where did you come from? And I know what they meant, but I would just sometimes, you know, disregard. But once I started college and did my undergrad in Mankato, I started to slowly understand a little bit more. And um, I did research in my master's degree, or I guess my emphasis was race and ethnicity. And I really believe going to specifically more or so when I started my master's degree rather than my undergrad, um, it gave me the opportunity to understand myself more and start learning more about who I am, my history, the background, um, and yeah, just accept my Mexican-American identity, being a first-gen children of immigrants. And now I'm in a PhD program in UNLV, and that's my focus and my study is children of immigrants, Latina children of immigrants. Um, And I'm still on the journey of trying to figure out who I am and healing and learning, Um, but yeah. I feel like it's such a lifelong journey to figure out who you are and who you want to become too and wow I mean I can only imagine all the transitions you have gone through and then even more so your recent transitions to have been born and raised in Minnesota and then moved to a completely different part of the country and with completely different demographics and a completely different type of institution too um I, I'm so curious to hear more about that part of your story too. So today you're ta- coming here to talk about um, what it was like attending a predominantly white institution and now a Hispanic serving institution. And so for those folks who are less familiar with these acronyms, PWI and HSI, can you... Um, define them even in however you you know way you're familiar with them that way they have a little bit of context before we we dive into your experience yeah um so a pwi is a predominantly white institution um and then hsi is a hispanic serving institution um pwi what gives it that distinction is if it has 50 percent or more enrollment of white students um but also if it's historically white, and that's, I think, the federal definition, but for historic um, Hispanic serving institutions, it is defined as an institution that serves 25% or more of um, Hispanic students, and it makes them eligible for federal grant funding, Um, and I was looking it up a couple days ago, and there's actually over 500 um, HSIs serving more than 2 million Latinx students. And um, there's also a new word coming up, which is emerging um, HSIs, which is um, 15% to 24.9% Hispanic um, uh, institutions. Yeah. So they're in the growth as well. There's currently 362 emerging HSIs wow. um, that fall in this criteria. And I think it, the growth of these kind of parallels to the growth of um, the Latina population. Um, and yeah. Yeah, but um, I didn't, I, I'm not a scholar of HSI, so I was less familiar 
with the number of institutions and also with how many emerging HSIs are available too. So that's helpful to have that, that background info. Um, so from your experience, what are some of the major differences that you've noticed uh, between the PWI and the HSI that you're attending now? Um, well, I think the big difference, at least for me, was in the PWI that I attended. I, I was there for five years. I did my undergrad and my master's. And well, first, the demographics, um, of course. My town where I went to school was 91% white. Um, and the institution itself was 73 or 75% white with a less than 5% of Hispanic population. Mm -hmm. um, I will say that they did rank number nine just this past uh, fall in international students. So they have a large number of general international students from about a hundred different countries. But in general, the diversity is still 73% white. Um, and now in UNLV, it is a minority serving institution, which is more of an umbrella term, um, and a Hispanic serving institution. We are about almost 70% uh, or 66% minorities. Um, and there, I think there's about 30,000 students in total and 9,000 are Hispanic and 8,900 are white. So there's actually more Hispanic students than white students. Um, and it's ranked one of the most diverse campuses in the United States. Um, so I think the first thing is just in general, like when you're walking around who you see, it's not just you know, white students, it's Hispanic people, it's just in general students of color. Um, but when some of the differences, once at least in Mankato and the PWI was, there was more microaggressions that I experienced. Um, and I've only been here at this institution this past fall, but um, from, my experience in the PWI to now, I haven't experienced as much as of that, or I don't, I can't really recall a moment um, where I felt this sense of like not belonging. Um, and that was the case for me at the PWI. Um, and I don't know, I just, it, there was some times where I'd be sitting in a class and the PWI and I was the only person of color there. And it was just a room full of white students. And I, there was times where I just didn't feel like I should show my voice or I should really speak out. Um, and also the faculty, faculty weren't very diverse in general, at least in my undergrad years. Once I started my master's, I did have for really the first time a professor of color um, and a Latino professor as well, which was, I was blown away. I was like so excited, uh -huh. so happy. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, sometimes just walking around in the PWI, I sometimes would feel stares, although it, it just felt a little uncomfortable um, with, the, with the looks. Um, 
but it, it all leads back to the diversity. It's really very a white institution. Um, and I think the big difference too is here in the area there's, in the HSI, I feel like there's more, there's classes offered that I that weren't offered in the PWI. There's, oh, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, a Latina course that I'm gonna be taking in the next uh, semester. I'm taking a course on intersectionality Mm-hmm. And um, I have a couple Latina professors and there's just more diversity walking around. I feel if I ever had an issue or if I experienced something, I feel like I would have people to talk to. I'd probably feel more comfortable just reaching out to people. And at least in my institution here, there's some resources available. There's a first generation club, there's a Latina club, there's a mentorship club or a program where you can be paired with um, an undergrad or just depending on your level, you can be paired with other people to help mentor each other. And I know at least I feel more engaged within the institution, but also outside of the institution. I feel like I have more resources available to me, more programs, more nonprofit organizations around the area um, that can help me. Uh, But I also want to emphasize too that the HSI, it's a a label designation. um, And that just means you're, they're eligible for funding, but it also doesn't mean that they're forced to necessarily give you a better education. Um, There's no requirements for that, but at least here in this institution, I do feel, I feel more welcome than I think I ever did in the PWI that I attended in Minnesota. Some of the things that I heard you say have to do with the differences in diversity, not just among the students, which is the first thing you think about when you think about HSI is the student demographics. But then how um, you notice more diversity among the faculty and then add it to that diversity in the curriculum too and the access to courses. And then on top of that, in your case, and I'm not sure if this is the case at every HSI, but the surrounding community is relatively diverse too. So you have access to resources outside of the campus too. And all of that, I think, adds up to you feeling more... um, supported and included and like you belong more so than in a space where you don't see people that look like you and that are interested in similar topics as you uh, for learning um and so so this is um I'm glad that I am hearing from you about this experience and I'm, I'm curious if this was something you even knew about or you considered when you were applying to grad programs like when you were trying to decide on going to grad school were you thinking oh I want to go to a grad school that's definitely more diverse than the one than the college that I attend now or or do, were you thinking oh I definitely want to attend a, a, an institution that has this classification that's an MSI or that's an HSI or was it just kind of like a, a very uh, great uh, coincidence or something that worked out in your favor? I think it were, was for sure a very great 
coincidence and it worked out very well um, because I'll be honest, I had no idea that there were such classifications as a um, MSI or a HSI. I didn't know that that was a thing. And um, I think as a first gen college student, I really had no idea what how to maneuver college or what even college was. Mm-hmm. I applied last minute um, to all the free institutions, the free application week um, when I was in high school, because I, I didn't know if I could attend. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. I didn't know anything about financial aid. Um, so, so I just applied. Us have that same story. Yeah. <laughs> that brings back old memory. That's like a yeah. very common first gen story of like, you just attend whatever you can get for free with all the waivers and hope and pray that you can figure out financial aid, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a hope for that. You hope it works out because there really isn't anyone to guide you. And I also coming from a small town, there was no one to help me in any way. There were, there was people helping other students, the white students um, with, you know, their, their situation, but my situation is different. And that wasn't really taken into consideration at all. Um, but I, went to the school that was nearby and I stayed there for again both my undergrad and my grad career but even before applying to my master's degree I had no idea if I could do it either I didn't know how I was going to be able to fund it so I went to the a professor um, and I was just asking her how does it work like should I even consider it I don't know if I can do it. And she saw, I think, the potential in me and like the desire to pursue a further education. And I went in just asking for just help with the application or how to how to go with the process. Um, And she ended up getting me a job. um, And I worked as a research assistant. And then she helped me build you know my my resume and just by offering me that job that research assistant job and it was in conjunction with my um only ever latino professor that i had and so it was both of them and they yeah it was a it was a study on nonprofit uh, organizations and it was both in the u.s and honduras so it was also like a i was able to use my um spanish and I, yeah, it was just a very, a very good experience. Um, but it, I really did go on a whim for my, my grad program, my master's. Um, and they were very helpful, but I will say the, my emphasis and what I want to learn is more about um, race and ethnicity and um, children of immigrants. But in the institution that there weren't that many race courses offered, um, I had one race course that I could take and it was offered by um, that Latino professor. And that was the only course that was available to me, at least within the department. Um, And the professors were all very helpful. I always felt like I could reach out to them, but the curriculum wasn't what I felt like I needed. And it didn't help me develop more of the knowledge and history of just race and you know latinas in general um yeah because it was just it was just that one course but um 
then I graduated and well before I graduated I was looking into PhD programs and I went through the whole same struggle again of I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I can be funded I don't know how this works um, and I applied very last minute a minute before um, applications were due mm-hmm. and um, I got some letters of recommendation from those same professors that really helped me out throughout the whole master's program um, and I fortunately got accepted and got three offers from different institutions, one of them being UNLV, um, another being the U of O and um, a University of Massachusetts. And I was looking at the, just the demographics of them and I actually visited the U of O. I went to Oregon, looked at um, the area, just toured the institution, Um, but after just looking up all of them and obviously taking into consideration funding and what they were offering me, I realized that the most diverse and that met my needs was UNLV. And I hadn't, again, I hadn't taken that into consideration for my undergrad or masters, but now that I'd be moving across the country, I realized that that's something I needed. And if it's what I wanna pursue my education in. I want to learn about myself and learn about my community and be in a place where I felt just safe to do so. And Oregon, it was, it's a beautiful, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful state. Um, but the town was about 87% white um, and the institution about 8% Hispanic. Um, so Although it was pretty, I knew that in reality for me to be better and for me to succeed, I needed to be around people who looked like me. And I needed that support. And it it may not be the same for everyone, but I was in a journey of just wanting to learn more because I, I never had that growing up. Um, and UNLV is among the most diverse in the country. Um, And the area itself is, again, very diverse as a community. So I eventually ended up choosing UNLV. But again, there was a lot of other factors as well. But a big factor also was just the diversity because I knew that I could could feel supported. Um, And I never actually visited before I made the acceptance, but just looking at the area and looking at the professor, there's a there's a couple Latina professors and one of them I actually cite in my work, in my thesis work. Um, I cite her work in my thesis and she's a professor here. Um, and I think, I think that really, I'm glad I made this choice. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy that when I walk around, I see fellow um, students that again, look like me. And I feel like my professors, I can reach out to them at any time. When I go out to the store, there's other people that look like me. I hear Spanish um, being spoken nearby, something I never had. Um, so ultimately, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy I made this choice. Um, you know, I really love interviewing folks from different stages of their academic and professional journeys because um, you have so much to share and so for instance, in, in your, um, what you were talking about with the differences and what you've learned about UNLV, um, 
and how it's impacted your your research in a positive way. Um, I'm thinking about how I've been supporting students in applying to graduate school for over 10 years now. And the first thing that people usually think about when they're thinking about creating a grad school list and applying to grad school are the rankings. They're like, oh, I want to go to a top school. And they think about all the big schools. But I, it's less common that I'll hear someone say, oh, I want to apply to a school that has, you know, this number of representation that matters to me or a school that, like I, like we said, HSI, um, MSI, or um, there's there's other distinctions too that I'm just not remembering off the top of my head of um, institutions that have uh, relatively high demographics of um, underrepresented or you know just minority, whatever word you want to use of um, you know the black brown students, you name it. Um, and that's important. So that like, I guess what, what I, what you're kind of reminding me is that it's important to know the things that are, that are going to help you to feel supported and are going to help you succeed in graduate school and that it's okay to pursue a program, you know, because it has the diversity that you're looking for, especially because in your case, like it aligned with your research too. You knew, okay, yeah. well, there's faculty here that I want to work with. There's someone you are actually, I actually cited. Um, and so I, I think it's just like, I hope that folks that listen, because some folks that listen are, are thinking about applying to grad school, that it's something that they keep in mind. That it's not just about, oh, let me search for the top programs in my field, but it's also like, let me see in what programs I'm going to feel represented and supported uh, because that's that could make or break your uh, experience in grad school. Or at least, you know, your experience in grad school may be less rocky because you'll feel more supported. Um, and also like the location matters too, because if you're in a location where you don't feel safe, you don't feel like comfortable, you're saying, I hear Spanish when I'm going places, like that's a sense of comfort. So that's that's a, a plus, I think, in, in your case. So now that you've like had these two very different experiences, I'm wondering, like, what do you wish that you knew that you now know about these two types of institutions and about your your grad school journey? Yeah, I think, I mean, first, I wish I even knew that they existed. But um, I think also the discussion of, yes, it is a Hispanic serving institution, um, but it's also a designated label. Um, all, they're all different. And because it's a Hispanic serving institution, it doesn't precisely mean that there will be, you know, structured programs in place to fully help you succeed and um, things in place that they will do, but there will just be more um, Hispanic students and campus. But every institution again is different and I feel at least here um, that there are some programs in place to help me. Um, but I also, you know, want to highlight again, it doesn't mean because you're in a Hispanic serving institution, you won't experience struggles. Yeah, regardless of the classification, there will always be ups and downs. Um, 
And when I moved to Vegas for the first time, I was so excited. And I still am very excited. I'm very happy that I'm here, but I did experience a sense of just feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And um Oh my gosh, isn't the institution was, like multiple times the size of your, yeah. of your small town, just the campus population? Yes, just the campus population itself is bigger than the campus, uh, the town size that I grew up oh. in. So it was um, incredibly overwhelming. And I, but I'm so grateful um, to see myself reflected not only on the campus and the community, um, just everywhere. But I, again, I, I did experience that moment of just feeling completely overwhelmed. And I felt a little sad that I realized all that I missed out in my life from being in a small space, a white space, um, where a lot of times I felt unworthy. But then I realized being in this space, being in an HSI and being in the community um, where there's a there's a large um, Latina community, I realized that I'm not unworthy and I deserve to be heard. I'm worthy to be seen. I am worthy to receive the support I need. Um, and I'm worthy for my experiences to be taken into consideration. Um, so it was a big moment of just, just overwhelm and a little bit of sadness, but ultimately grateful. Um, I'm still, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm here, but yeah, I just, you know, want to highlight that it's, you know, at least coming from a very white space to then coming to a space where there's diversity. I did experience just a moment of overwhelmness and feeling just a little, a little sad that I missed out on these things, but ultimately extremely grateful. You know, a, um, you have a unique experience in that you grew up in a predominantly white and very, very small town. Um, but that kind of culture shock happens to a lot of us, uh, you know, in going to college and grad school, if we end up moving away from wherever we're from, you know, so like a, a lot of California students struggle to move away from California because there's a lot of shocks, you know, with the diversity, with the weather, et cetera. And so the same goes the other way around. If you're from another state and you're moving, you know, to the yeah. other side of, of the coast, um, there's there's this big kind of culture shock or even in some cases it can be called reverse culture shock to go from you're like wait mm-hmm. I'm used to all these white people wait now it's all a bunch of people that look yeah. like me. <laughs> um yeah. but I I just I, I just think that is is so interesting because it works in so many different ways um but also there's so much potential for growth and putting yourself outside of spaces that you're that you've kind of um been raised to be the norm in your life and so I guess um we're getting close to wrapping up the episode I want to know if you have any words of advice for first-gen students there might be someone out there who has a similar experience as you who is from a small town who is dreaming big who wants to go to grad school and they're deciding like and and that's the big question that I get that's one of the most common questions I get is how do I create a grad school list? How do I decide what program is good for me? And very few people are like in your case and in my case too, when I was an undergrad, no one taught me what these acronyms were. People just like, I think once you advance in your education, you take these terms for granted. It's like people just like, 
<laughs> blurt out all these acronyms. And when I was an undergrad, I remember always like writing down all the acronyms and looking them up later. <laughs> and so <laughs> there might be folks who are thinking, I want to go to grad school. I am not as familiar with P PWS and HSIs, but I'm pretty sure I'm attending a PWI now. Um, maybe I want to go to an HSI. Um, but basically, just general words of advice for, for first-gen students of color, for first-gen children of immigrants who are dreaming big, are thinking of moving outside of their home and thinking of going to grad school. What kind of advice would you want to share with them? Um, I think first is if you do end up choosing a PWI, there's no shame in that choice. Ultimately, like every decision it's yours you know what needs work you know what needs you have and what works best for you um, there could be I would just at least look into the different programs and there could be some programs offered in the PWI that are not offered in the HSI or a professor you'd like to work with um, and the location matters too because although HSIs are growing there's definitely way more PWIs and um I think to to my knowledge, there's no um, PWIs, there no HSIs in Minnesota. I didn't even know there there were a thing. So again, location is a big factor. Um, and I had the incredible privilege of having funding in um, this institution, and I have you know a tuition waiver, and I get paid, and. I didn't get help with my relocation expenses, but already having the privilege of getting funding is immense. And I was able to make that relocation. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have had the chance to come here and the chance to obtain, uh, attend a HSI. So I think definitely taking into consideration the location, um, the programs, funding, and eventually just in general what is best for your overall goals and overall health um and I think regardless of that choice whatever you end up deciding on is already breaking so many barriers um there's so many barriers for uh people of color entering academia they exist the system works against us the system was not built for us um but here we are we continue to push and fight um, and I'm glad that I'm here and I'm glad that I have this opportunity, uh, and I'm able to, hopefully that's the big goal is to help other first-gen students, other Latino students, other students of color. And I think the big thing is just all about helping each other out and there's more to be done, uh, no matter the institution, no matter where you are, there's always, there's always more to do, um. But again, regardless of the choice, again, it's already breaking a whole bunch of barriers and it's it's furthering, furthering a lot. You know, um, hearing your story, hearing the advice you have to share, it just reminds me that being, you know, first gen child of immigrants, for a lot of us going to college and going to grad school is an entry way to better getting to know ourselves, get better getting mm -hmm. to know what we want to do um, with our lives and our long-term goals. 
And um, the institution that we go to actually plays a big role in shaping who we are and who we become. And so it's not a, you know, it's not a quick decision. It is something to, to think about, you know, from many different angles. And in today's conversations, we got to think about the demographics and the resources and the supports. And so I'm glad that you you shared your story. I think that a lot of folks are going to find it helpful. And I, for folks who want to continue this conversation, reach out to you, follow you, connect with you. How can others reach you? Um, I, you can reach me on Twitter. Um, I'm starting to, I want to start posting more and get more involved in um, meeting other people. Uh, my handle is P Lopez underscore almost seven. I will double check and make sure that's correct. But, um, and also email. Um, I have my university email, which is alma.lopez at unlv.edu. Um, but yeah, but I'm always happy to meet others. And if I can give any advice or if I can learn from someone else, I'm always glad to, to have that conversation. I'm so glad. We will make sure to add your uh, Twitter account and your email to the show notes. So we'll definitely get the correct info from you (laughs) before this gets published. So I want to thank you once again, Alma, for coming on here, for sharing your experience, the knowledge that you've gained, so many consejos. Uh, We appreciate you and I want to thank you for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to do so. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Femtoring. Thanks again and until next time. <laughs>